This morning, we begin a new series on hope in a pandemic. There is hope in the midst of what's going on in our world right now. And we're going to look at 1 Peter this entire time until Christmas time. We are going to be looking at 1 Peter. For, Peter was actually called the disciple of hope because of this particular book in the Bible. Let's pray and then we will jump into our new series. And today we're going to be looking at how Peter is setting the stage for hope. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for this time that we can gather together as a body of believers. We have hope. Hope that you give us. Hope that you sustain in us. Hope that is so great that we can move into joy. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will fall upon us. That the word of hope will so fill our hearts that even if we walked in here depressed or full of despair or full of fear or full of worry, that when we leave this place today, we will have a renewed hope. That we'll walk out with joyful hearts because you are good. In your name, amen. In my freshman year of high school, I was part of the stage crew for a musical at our high school. And the musical was Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Now, it's not the greatest musical. It doesn't really follow the Bible. Uh, but we were part of the stage crew. And I don't know if you've ever been part of a musical or if you've ever been part of uh, a commercial or a TV show or sometime where you acted something out. But the stage crew, whether you know it or not, is very important. The stage crew has to spend hours and hours and hours building a set, developing it, painting stuff, building stuff. And, and I remember going uh, to this time after school, we would spend four to five hours after school just building stuff, nailing nails into the set. And it would take about two months to develop the entire set. Because if there was a time where there was not the set in a particular musical, the musical wouldn't be as fun to watch. The musical wouldn't be as interesting to be a part of as you were viewing it. It would be kind of boring. Right? And I remember we had to build this giant pharaoh head in the back of the stage. And this thing took probably a month to build because we had to make it its mouth mechanically open so Joseph could walk out of it. Now, that, that, that caused an inspiration immediately. There was this shock and awe. But the, the, the importance of what I'm saying is that the stage needed to be set. And the stage needed to be changed. The stage crew would come out when the curtains would drop or they would come out with, with dark clothing and they would move things around for the next scene. The stage needed to be set for the musical or for the commercial or for the movie, whatever it is you want to put in there. The stage needed to be set for it to make the most sense. To understand hope then, we need to see the stage that is set for hope. Peter does that in this book. He does this in the first two verses where he sets the stage for hope. You and I, we need a foundation of hope to put our faith in. We need the foundation of faith in our lives because our hope can only be realized in the context of our Christian faith. Our hope can only be realized in the context of our Christian faith. If we put our hope in worldly things, 
that foundation will crumble. If we put our hope in worldly things of hope like money, power, dreams, or our job, or our future, man, my friends, you will be disappointed. In this pandemic, many people have been disappointed because they realized that they had put their hope in the wrong thing. They had put their hope in their stock. They had put their hope in their future. They had put their hope in retirement. They had put their hope in their job. They had put their hope in that, in that promotion that they were expecting to get. And their foundation began to crumble. Their foundation began, began to break. My friends, we are seeing, as I had said in the beginning of the, sermon, the service, we're seeing higher levels of depression. We're seeing higher levels of despair. We're seeing higher levels of suicide. We are seeing higher levels of pornography viewing. We are seeing higher levels of domestic violence, abuse. In this time, because people's life is almost hopeless, they feel a despair and a depression. I was reading an article this week that religious leaders, pastors, and elders that are leading churches actually have a, a higher rate of suicidal ideology than they've ever had. Four out of ten pastors and church leaders are considering killing themselves. And I'm sure that that's even worse in, in other areas of unbelievers that have no hope to put their faith in. Our hope can only be realized in the context of our faith. Therefore, Peter sets the stage for hope. We may be falling prey to hopelessness. We may be falling prey to depression and despair. And if I'm honest, this is a, a, a passage and this is a book and this is a sermon that I need to continue to state to myself, to remind myself that, that our faith grounds us in hope. And I, I pray, and, and my expectation is that as you leave, you will see the grounds for hope. So the question that we need to ask today from these passages is, what is the foundation of our faith that leads to hope? What is the foundation of our faith that leads to hope? Now, before we begin reading the passage, I need to give you a little bit of background, because as we're starting this new series, you might not know the background to 1 Peter Peter the disciple who was with Jesus, who is called the disciple of hope in these days. He's writing to a church that is scattered in the provinces of Rome. He wrote this in the middle of the mid-60s after Christ had died. He wrote this to the church in the mid-60s. And if you know your Roman history, you will know that that was smack dab in the middle of Nero's reign right there in the middle of Nero's reign. Whether this was written before as a prophetic book saying, hey, there is going to be pain that's going to happen, or whether it was in the middle of the pain that was happening, this is a letter of hope to the church that was scattered, that this persecution led them to scatter. Nero was a crazy, insane Caesar. He was a crazy leader, paranoid for his life, similar to his, his great-grandfather Caligula. He was afraid of what was happening. And he was so paranoid, he began to burn Rome. He began to burn certain parts of Rome. And then he blamed it on Christians. And he said it was the Christians that burned Rome. They need to be slaughtered. They need to be burned. He would burn Christians alive. 
Some people say that he lit the way, putting Christians on poles and burning them. He lit the way to his, his palace with the bodies of believers. And so Peter is writing to a church that you and I can't even understand the depths of persecution that they were going through. You and I can't even grasp the, the basic tenets of the pain that they were going through in this time. But Peter wrote this during that time. One commentator says, Peter's primary message is to trust the Lord, live obediently no matter what your circumstances, and keep your hope fixed on God's ultimate promise of deliverance. That was the main crux of this passage. So let's turn to the first two verses of 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1, 1 through 2 says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Although these verses are short, Peter is setting the stage for the rest of the book. He is setting the stage for hope. And we're going to see this morning five bricks to our foundation of hope. Five bricks that Peter is putting purposely in this passage. It is so thick and rich with the foundation of hope. And the very first foundation that we can see, the very first brick of our foundation is this. Believers are identified as chosen children of the king. Chosen children of the king. He says, to those who are elect. To those who are elect. The Greek word elect means chosen, or those whom are chosen. Many commentators will take this time in this one word and spend hours and hours writing books about what election means, about how God chooses and man does not choose, a very Calvinistic view of faith. But that, I believe, fully misses the point of what Peter is trying to say. He wasn't trying to make a debate about election. He wasn't trying to make a debate about a Calvinistic view of God choosing and we don't choose God's grace. What he was saying is that you are identified as chosen children of the King. You have accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You as the church are a body of believers and you are chosen children of the King. No matter what is going on around you, your identity is rooted as a child of of God, and you are chosen. You are beloved. We are loved. We are desired by the Father. Now, you'll hear me talk about identity a lot. Why? Because the Bible talks about identity a lot. Clearly, we as believers and the early church as believers struggled with believing that they were children of God. They struggled with believing that they were chosen. They struggled with believing that God could love them because many people came out of a terrible lifestyle in the early church. Many people struggled. Maybe some of those Jews that came to Jesus had shouted, crucify him. 
They had a difficult view of understanding their identity. So Paul and Peter and the other disciples consistently talked about identity. Jesus in the book of John talked over and over again about our identity rooted in the Holy Spirit. This is a vital piece for us to grasp, and we will continue to see Peter talk about our identity. Remember, he's setting the stage of hope, and he will go even further in chapter 2 about our identity. It is vital for us to grasp the fact that we are loved and we are desired by the Father. As chosen children, we belong in the family of the Father. As chosen children, we belong in the family of the Father. One of the main things that is causing depression during this time is a belief that we are alone. When we have to be isolated, when we have to stay in our homes, when we have to make sure that we are safe wherever we go, there's this constant reminder as we see people wearing masks that we're not living in the normal life any longer, that things are different. And this has gone on and on and on. This pandemic seems seems endless. When we first thought it would end in two weeks, then we realized it might not end until July. And now we're in the middle of August, nearing the end of August, and it's still happening. People are depressed because they feel alone. But as believers, we are not alone. We have the family of God that we can rely upon. And we have God our Father who loves us. As chosen children of the King, we are not alone. We're not alone. A friend of mine just yesterday, he emailed me and texted me at the same time and he said, you know what, I'm really struggling right now. Can you pray for me? I'm really wrestling with a lot of stuff in my heart and I'm falling prey to temptation. Will you please pray for me? I'm depressed. So I took time to pray for him in that moment, and this morning I checked on him and said, how are you doing? And he said, I, I, felt, I felt the love of God during that time. And I was able to skirt away from temptation. We need to reach out to one another. When we're falling prey to the depression, to the despair, to the fear, to the worry, don't hold it inside. You're not alone. Your feelings are not unknown to other people. Other people feel what you're feeling during this time, and we need to reach out. You are loved, desired, have value, and you belong. A commentator named Stott, who edited a whole group of commentaries, said this, Quietly and humbly, they, that's believers, can live holy lives, not seeking to claim their rights, but honoring others. Such humble living in no way is servile or demeaning, for Christians know themselves to be the royal people of God's own possession, the chosen heirs of the new creation. We can quietly live holy lives in the midst of a pandemic. We can live loving other people in the midst of this time. We can live with hope because of our identity as chosen children. We have a foundation to put our hope in. And the second brick of our foundation is this, that believers are strangers sojourning in a foreign 
land. He calls them exiles, sojourners in a foreign land. Too often we forget this world is not the be-all, end-all of our lives. Exiles, you and I are strangers sojourning in a foreign land. This is not our home. This is not where our hope begins. This is not the place where we are to find our hope. This is a crumbling foundation, a world that will constantly disappoint us. We will be disappointed in this world in every aspect of our lives. We'll be disappointed in our friends. We'll be disappointed in our government. We'll be disappointed in our church. We'll be disappointed in our families. We'll be disappointed in our jobs. Eventually, there's going to be some semblance of disappointment that comes in our lives in every aspect of this world. The only place that we can fill our hope and find our hope is in the reality of heaven. That we know that this is not the end. That as believers, we know that this is just a blip on the radar of eternity. And we cannot allow what is going on in the world to bring hopelessness because we are citizens of heaven. Stott says this, and I love this. He said, Peter is writing a traveler's guide for Christian pilgrims. (laughs) We are Christian pilgrims. And this hope that he's giving is a traveler's guide to our hope. He continues, he reminds them that their hope is anchored in their homeland. They are called to endure alienation as strangers, but they have a heavenly citizenship and a heavenly destination. I love that phrase, anchored in in their homeland. So point number five is a believer's hope is anchored in their homeland. Anchored in their homeland. Your hope is anchored in your homeland. And your homeland is not this earth. And the beauty of of what we see in Scripture is that you and I can see heaven invade earth now. That's the purpose of Jesus' prayer, saying, you know, may your will be done on heaven as in earth as it is in heaven. That you and I can bring part of the homeland of heaven to this world. That you and I can be so filled with hope in a hopeless world that people look at us and say, how can you be hopeful? You admit that it's not easy. You admit that it's frustrating. You admit that it's painful. But you still have hope. It's because our foundation is in heaven. That we can see the down payment of our faith in here and now. That we can see God move. That we can see God move forward. Which comes to another statement of a commentator. He says, Peter is concerned, therefore, about the witness of the Christian church to the pagans of their cities. They are transients and aliens but they are also ambassadors. In this world, we're not just living in a foreign land. We are to be ambassadors of our homeland. We're to bring the news of the true kingdom to the world that is a false kingdom. We are to be ambassadors in this world as we walk, as we live. We'll see in 1 Peter 3.15 that that's our apologetic, our lives based on Jesus brings us that hope, brings us the ability to be the right ambassadors, that we bring the message of the real kingdom to this earth. This is the foundation of our hope, understanding that we are in heaven. We are strangers in this world. Because a believer's life bears witness 
to their true loyalties. A believer's life bears witness to their true loyalties. Our, Our allegiance is to the King, Jesus. That is who we lift up. That is who we are to glorify. And we have to ask the questions. I have to ask the question, is my life a witness of my loyalty to the King? Is my life a witness to the kingdom of God, to my homeland? Is that how my life is being lived? That's a constant question. Even the psalmist, King David, asks, Search me, O God. Look at my heart. Take the ways that are not of your kingdom and transform them to be of your kingdom, not of my own kingdom. That's a tough question to ask. Is my life showing my true loyalty to heaven or not? We have a foundation to put our hope in. And the third brick in our foundation is this. What the Father has purposed to do will be done despite the way things may appear. We see that in verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, that what the Father has purposed to do will be done despite the way things appear. Our current circumstance, our current issues going on in our lives, they are not a surprise to the Lord. Although this pandemic came out of nowhere, just boom, God was not surprised. God was not surprised at all. Our circumstances do not shock the Lord. We must see that He is all-powerful. That when we put our hope in Him, when we put our hope in our homeland, That he has the foreknowledge. He knew that you would accept him. He knew that you would come to believe and choose into his kingdom. He knew that when he wooed you, when he had drawn you to himself, when he had called you by your name, he knew that you would choose and say yes. God's desire we see in 1 John is to have the whole world come to faith, to have the whole world come to Jesus. He knew that you would choose him. That's a powerful truth that God so loves us, God so desires us, that he wooed us by the Spirit. We see in John, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is the convictor of sin. The Holy Spirit is our convictor and convincer that we need God. But we cannot forget that what the Father has purposed to do will be done. The song Waymaker was sharing that truth that he will hold up his end of the bargain. He is a promise keeper. He keeps his promises. Even though it seems like right now, where are you, God? And it's okay to ask that question. We see in the Psalms, at least one-third of them were laments, asking God, where are you? This life, this moment is so painful. It is so agonizing. It is so difficult. It is so hopeless. Where are you? And he says in verse 2, the foreknowledge of God. What God has purposed to do, he will do. His will will be done. 
We cannot forget that. We may panic in the midst of suffering, but he does not. Remember, Peter is writing to a church that is persecuted, a church that is being murdered, a church that is being slaughtered, believers who are being killed. And he's saying, you know what? God knew this was going to happen, but believe and put your hope in him. Believe and put your trust in him. Allow all of this to point you to him rather than fear or panic or frustration or depression. And we saw in the midst of this persecution, the church exploded. If you look historically, you will notice that the church grows the fastest and the biggest under persecution. Why does that happen? Because believers are living in hope in the midst of suffering. And the world needs hope. Your neighbor who does not know Jesus needs hope. Your family member who does not have a relationship with Jesus needs hope. Let's be that hope to this world, living in the foundation of our hope. Hillier says this, The divine choice of believers is according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. This includes far more than a divine capacity to foretell the future. It implies God's intention all along and His ability to bring His desired ends to pass. We can honestly say, as believers, if our foundation is in the understanding that He is a promise keeper, we can honestly say, I don't know what's going on. I don't know when it will end. I don't know why it's happening. But I do know that God has got this in His hand. I do know that God has got this in His hand. And when we live in that hope, the world does take notice. Because they look and say, how can you say that? How can you believe that it's, it's okay? God has this in his hand. God let this happen. God did this. No. God has it. God's got this. His promises will come true. Even when it doesn't seem like he's working, he's working. Peter said, God knew, but God is with you. Peter said, God knew what you're going through before it happened. God knows what you're going through. But God is with you. God is for you, not against you. God is with you. Such a reminder is apt at times when Christians are troubled by the circumstances in which they find themselves, confused about how to live, and tempted to doubt God's goodness and faithfulness. We need to remember that what God purposed to do, He will do. He will do it. One of the beautiful promises that we can hold to is that Christ will come again. That Christ will come in power and that all things will be made new. All things will be renewed. All the brokenness in our world will be transformed. It may not be in our lifetime. The prophets said that. They said, this may not happen in my lifetime, but I see it in the future. And that brings me hope. I know that in the end, God will win, Satan will lose, and we will reign with the king. That should be our hope. That should be what drives us. 
We have a foundation to put our hope on. And the fourth brick in our foundation is that living a hopeful and holy life is done only through the Holy Spirit. Living a hopeful and holy life is done only through the Holy Spirit. Look at what Peter said again. He said, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. We see this word sanctification again. Early on in our doctrine series, we talked about Jesus being our sanctifier. That we see the the reality that you and I can only be holy because Jesus died and sent the Holy Spirit to bring us the ability to live the Christian life. And it's only through the Holy Spirit that we can live hopeful, holy lives. That word hagiosmos in Greek, that word sanctification that we see transformed there is that we are set apart, that we are made new, that we are made holy. And we must surrender to the Holy Spirit. Someone said, well, what does that mean, surrender to the Holy Spirit? Well, that means we come in prayer to the Lord and we say, you know what, God, I don't have this, but you have this. Holy Spirit, fill me with the ability to live a hope-filled, holy life. It says, I'm going to give away all of my rights and ask for you to fill me. I'm going to surrender everything, my future. I'm going to surrender my job to you. I'm going to surrender my family to you. I'm going to surrender all the things that I've tried to put my hope in to you, Holy Spirit, because I know that only you can give me the hope that I need to live in this world. Only you can give me the ability to live the holy, sanctified life that you called me to. Martin Luther, the great theologian, many of you might know him from the history books of the Reformation, he said, you must be holy, but you are to govern yourself that you do not think you are holy of yourself or through your own merit. You and I cannot be hopeful or holy in our own merit. If we try to be hopeful without God, without the promises of our homeland, if we try to live hopeful without the full understanding of our identity, if we try to live hopeful without being surrendered to the Holy Spirit, it will always end in hopelessness. The the hopefulness that our world has is surface level. But the hope that you and I can have can go to our very soul. where We can live transformed, hopeful, holy lives. I love how Jobes says it in her commentary. She says, Whoever is taken hold of by the Spirit is thus taken from the realm of the profane and placed into the sphere of the holy. When we are taken hold of by the Spirit of God, we move from profane living to the realm of the holy, to the realm of hope. We must anchor our hope in the Spirit of God because Spirit-filled holiness is marked by obedience to Christ. Spirit-filled holiness is marked by obedience to Christ. You and I cannot obey Christ without the Holy Spirit. So we must then take a step back and again, like I said before, look at our lives and say, does it look surrendered? Am I walking in obedience? Am I surrendering my job, 
my rights, my family, my future, my money? Am I laying that at the feet of Jesus Christ or not? Because that's what we're called to. That's what we're called to obey. Jesus was very clear. He says, take up your cross and follow me. Paul was very clear that we are in Romans 12 to be living sacrifices. That means every aspect of our lives must be sacrificed to him. That's not an easy thing. This is real discipleship. Too often we stop at Jesus saved you from your sins. Jesus died for your sins and rose again, and that's, that's it. That's all that you need to know. That's just fire insurance. Real discipleship comes to the place where we realize that we need to lay down our very life, lay down everything, lay down every single thing, and say, I surrender it to, at the foot of the cross. I'm picking up my cross, dying to myself daily. That is what we have to do. Another commentator the last name of Boring, not Steve Boring, although I think he would probably say the same thing. Election is not for privilege, but for obedience. Concretely realized in doing good. Our election, our being chosen, is not for privilege, to be privileged in this world. There is the privilege of heaven. But we are chosen And in that choosing, we are called to obedience. Let me be completely honest with you. I have never been more hope-filled than when I'm in obedience. When I begin to walk in disobedience and I begin to neglect my time with the Lord and I begin to not take up my cross and I begin to live for myself and I begin to try and do life on my own, when I try to lead the church or my family on my own, I find myself in a hopeless place. I'll be completely honest with you. I've seen that in this pandemic. When I have stopped obeying Jesus and I've been trying to do it on my own, I've been filled with a sense of hopelessness. Despair has crept in. When will this end? Why do we have to continue in this way? But I've found that my hope is filled. My hope is so strong when I walk in obedience. I know that sounds weird. Surrendering everything should be hard and make us feel hopeless. But my friends, the truth of the gospel, the promise of the gospel is that those who are last will be first. (laughs) That's talking about those who lay down everything, who seem to be last in the, the race of life, are actually first in the kingdom of God. Our hope is marked in obedience. We have a foundation to put our hope on, and the fifth brick in our foundation is the blood of Christ is the cornerstone of our hope. Peter brings the believers back to the essence of their hope, Christ's blood and the development of the new covenant. He reminds them the only reason you have access to the Holy Spirit is because of Christ's death. Look at what he says at the very end. He says, for obedience to Christ Jesus and for sprinkling with his blood. He brings them back 
to the essence. We see that Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. That the Holy Spirit's job is to glorify Jesus in and through us. And we can glorify Jesus through a hope that doesn't make sense. And here Peter is only setting the foundation of our hope. He's reminding them of their, their chosenness. He's reminding them of their need for the Holy Spirit. He's reminding them of their exile. He's reminding them of the cross. He's reminding them of all of these things. And he's going to dig into them deeper. Because he wants the church to live in hope despite what they're going through, despite what was going on around them, despite the fact that if they gathered together as a body of believers, they could be murdered for that. When they would get baptized in public, which is what they would do, they could be murdered for that because they're saying to the world in that time, hey, I believe in Jesus. Hey, I'm a Christian. Hey, I want the world to know. That kind of bold faith actually drew people to Jesus because they're like, wow, if you don't care if you die because this is so important that you'd be willing to lay down your life, there has to be something to it. No one is foolish to lay down their lives for nothing. No one is so stupid as to put their lives in danger purposefully. No one is so crazy that they would do something like that. They said, I have hope. I don't care if I die. Like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. I don't care what happens in the fires of the world because I know God is with me. Even if I get burnt up, even if I die, he's my hope. And you and I can say that because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ, that is his sacrificial death, results in a new covenant being ratified between God and his people being ratified by God and His people. We are a new creation. We no longer have to live in this world of despair, of fear, of depression, of anxiety, of hopelessness. Because we have a hope. We have a hope that Jesus Christ brings. And look at the last line of Peter's second verse. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. In this time of pain, in this time where it seems like God is not working, but He is, in this time of being murdered for your belief, may you have grace. And we'll see later, he's talking about grace that we give to other people. Grace that they are to give to Nero who's murdering them. Grace that they are to give to their neighbors who tattle on them and tell the world that they're Christians and get them killed. May you have grace. But then he also says, may you have peace. My friends, I believe that's a word for you and for me. May we have grace and peace. Peace in a tumultuous time seems impossible, but it's available. It seems crazy to say I have peace in the midst of a pandemic, but it's possible. Peter is setting the foundation of our hope. These five bricks are vital for us to put in the foundation of our lives now to put in the foundation of our lives so that we can live hopeful, so that we can show the world that there is hope in the midst of a pandemic. Despite the seeming hopelessness around us, there is hope. Amen? 
Oh, come on. In the midst of hopelessness, there's hope, amen? Because Jesus Christ has sacrificed himself for you and given us the Holy Spirit, and he is saying, what I will do, what I said I will do, I will do. You are chosen. You are loved. You belong. You don't have to live in hopelessness of being alone because you're not alone. We are chosen children marked by our true homeland. We are a people who have an all-powerful Father behind us and the Holy Spirit to fill us and the Son who died for us. Notice, Peter brought in the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Powerful testament to our hope. May we recognize that the Father is for us, that the Holy Spirit fills us, and that the Son died for us. In those three things, we find our hope, we find our grace, we find our peace. Let's pray. Holy Father, I thank you that you offer hope in hopelessness. God, my prayer is that we will be hope-filled people as we leave this place. Father, the things around us can bog us down and make us hopeless. Fill us with your spirit. Give us the ability to walk in obedience, to remember that we are not alone. And may grace and peace fill our lives for the remainder of this pandemic and for the remainder of our lives. I pray that we'll walk out of this place hope-filled with joy in our hearts. In your name.